This morning's reading is from Deuteronomy, chapter 16. Observe the month of Aviv, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Aviv, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God, from the flock and the herd, in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days. Nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Frank. Always helps to bring your Bible, doesn't it, sometimes? I hope you listened well. Always helps. Welcome to church, everybody. My name's Steve Bates, and it's always a little disconcerting uh, when she says to the children, aren't you lucky you get to go out to watch a video? (laughs) I was up the back and somebody said to me, oh, so she's heard your sermon, has she? (laughs) Not at all. When it comes to Australia Day, what's the first thing you think about Throw a hand up or just call out to me, that's okay, it's public holiday. Sorry? Food? That's. I thought you said booze. Yeah, I'm the same, yeah, yeah. From the front here, I thought, wow, there's a confession, I love that. We can cut that out of the recording, that's fine, that's fine. What else? So the food, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Sorry? Hot air balloons, excellent, that's, yeah. There was one out here. Glad it was the English, not the French. Because <laughs> then we'd have to learn French, right? No, that doesn't work like that, does it? Yeah, okay. Public holiday, it's a day off. Woohoo! Come on, that's got to be the first thing you think about. Freedom, yeah, yeah. yeah. Diversity. And I think that's really appropriate after hearing about the persecuted church. I mean, surely that struck all of us. You go... Thank you, Lord, for what we have. Yes, right? And diversity? Yeah? Yeah, gratitude and joy. Yeah, we live here. That's good. It's a good place to live. Controversy, yeah. That's why you're all here for this sermon, isn't it? You want to hear what I'm going to say? Yeah. <laughs> Again, an encouraging comment on the way into church. Oh, I'm glad you're preaching today, not me. <laughs> Our Aboriginal nations, yeah. The first peoples, yeah. What I want us to do today, just to understand my heart behind today, 
I have this passion that, that we express our faith in the everyday, that Christianity is not restricted to what we do on a Sunday, it's not just what we do here, but that we actually learn to engage our faith with the culture in which we live. Like we live in a secular country. We have to understand that Australia has never been like a Christian country. That doesn't actually make any sense at all to say that Australia was ever a Christian country. The question is always how Christians actually live in the culture in which they Ah. And I think when it comes to Australia Day, and, and you know, I've been thinking about this sermon for, for a long time, when I first realised that the 26th of January felt, fell on a Sunday, it was very much a desire I want to speak into how we bring our faith into this day, because th- there is controversy, there is diversity around this. Uh, my intention today is not to offend. There may be things that I say that you disagree with. There may be things that I say that will bring offence, and, and that's certainly not my intention at all. I really am wanting us to engage, because it's all part of a broader question of actually how we bring our faith into the places in which we we live. So if you do find yourself feeling confronted or offended at any point, no, don't leave. (laughs) No, no, stop stop offering suggestions. (laughs) My goodness. I read an article yesterday and somebody just said, you know, one of the biggest problems in our culture which infects our churches is that we actually can't have conversations civilly anymore and can't disagree. Like, we, you know, we struggle with people who we disagree with even on the slightest things. And I go, oh, yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Anyway, that's beside the point. If there are points of discomfort for you, I actually want you to reflect on that. What is it about what I'm saying is causing you discomfort? It's not because I'm lying. It's not because I'm trying to inflict hurt. What is it? that's actually causing that discomfort. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump into this. You ready for it? Good, good, good. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you uh, for what it means to many of us, a day of thanksgiving and celebration. Father, we pray that as we ask this question of actually what does it mean to bring our faith into this day, Lord, that we would just have a very strong sense of your spirit, revealing things to us, showing us, perhaps even convicting us around things as well. Father, thank you that we are people... Who, who we are simply because of your grace. Uh, we are no better, no worse uh, than any other person on this planet, and yet you've reached out to all of us with this same grace. And, uh, Lord, we're grateful for that, Lord, and we desire to actually live in such a way that others would know just of your love and your grace and forgiveness that is available to all. So, Father, we know that you are with us here by your Spirit. Uh, we thank you for your word that has been written, and as we try and tie all these things together into some difficult questions... Father, may you lead us through this. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen. So, of the seven public holidays, I think Australia Day would be the most contentious. Now, I am going to try and flick through these. Are we up on them? So, grab the first one if we can. You know the seven Australia national public holidays. So, these are the seven. So, we start with... Actually, I'll start with... Uh, There there are two religious festivals, and hopefully you know what those two are. So we have Christmas and we have Easter. Now, even though they're religious festivals in a secular country, they're they're actually relatively non-controversial. You understand that? Like, people actually enjoy Christmas because you get lots of public holidays, and they like Easter because you get two public holidays. There's a sense in which, in a secular country, we just put a different meaning to both Christmas and Easter. As Christians, we get disappointed with the shallowness of it, right? Easter is about chocolate. Oh, seriously? 
Christmas is about presents and getting together as a family. It's like, seriously, don't you understand? There's so much more depth and richness to it. So in a secular country, we have two religious festivals, but they are non-controversial. Nobody's calling for the abolition of Christmas. No one's calling for the abolition of Easter. They're non-controversial. Then New Year's Day, I would guarantee, is probably the most important public holiday we have because you need like to rest after the night before. Okay, So that one's absolutely vital. We're not going to get rid of New Year's Day. Uh, tracking down through it, what else we got? I think Anzac Day is perhaps now our most significant national day in our nation. And what I mean by that, it's, it's a day that there is great, uh, I think, feeling and emotion and affection for, and that's increased, certainly in my lifetime of 50-odd you know, years. Anzac Day has taken on a, a greater significance in the life of our country. It is something that we, I think we understand that this is a time to remember and to honour those who have given so much in the service of their country. It resonates with us as Australians and there's a sense of pride in, in that, that public holiday. Then I think we have two holidays that people don't understand and actually have, it, like seriously, what are they about? It's a day off, good, and they're spaced in throughout the year, so even better. So we have the Queen's birthday weekend. Now, the strange thing about the Queen's birthday, does anybody know when the Queen's birthday is? April 21. Okay, but what's the problem with April 21. Oh, it's way too close to Anzac Day. It's way too close to... We don't want to, we don't want to jam up. So, so our Queen's birthday long weekend is actually more closely tied to the birthday of King George V. Okay, because his was in June, and so that's better spaced. So our Queen's birthday holiday is actually the birthday of a king. So there we go. It's a holiday, so who cares, right? Uh, and the other one is Labor Day. And again, I'm not sure a lot of people understand the significance of our October Labor Day holiday, but it is quite significant. So it was in the 1850s, workers successfully negotiated the reduction of the working week from 60 hours to 48. So the standard working week was six 10-hour days, and in the mid-1850s, after uh, protracted <laughs> negotiations, strikes and everything else, they reduced the working week to six 8-hour days. So there we go. That's why you have a Labor Day public holiday. It's not even a bad one to celebrate. So then we come to Australia Day. And I think Australia Day is the most contentious of them all. It's our national day. You understand that. This is our most significant national public holiday. But there are very different feelings about it. For most, I think there is a celebration of being Australian. Certainly part of Cathy and I's Australia Day tradition is that we have a neighbourhood barbecue. At that barbecue, we have first-generation Irish, we have second-generation Maltese, we have a range of our neighbours from different backgrounds. We have a barbecue, it's lamb on the barbecue, people put little Australian flags everywhere. And it is, it's just this sense of actually being grateful and thankful that we live in the country that we live in. Uh, so I think that's a very common feeling about Australia. It has an historical background, but... I think the history of it is not something that, that we jump back into. Uh, very different from, let's say, Christmas or Easter here, we retell the story of the day. You understand that? Like, we retell the Christmas story, we retell the Easter story. We very rarely retell in our culture the story of January 26. And very few people I meet, particularly under the age of, let's say, 75, say that they actually celebrate the date, January 26, as the day when the First Fleet sailed into Port Jackson. Maybe being thankful that it was the English, not the French, is about as close as we get to that. But, but very few people would say, this, this is the day, and I celebrate the fact that the First Fleet sailed into Port Jackson. And for an increasing number of Australians, January 26 is actually not a day of celebration, but it's a day of mourning. Now, how long has this been going on for, that Australia Day is a day of mourning, do you think? 
Is it a relatively new thing? A lot of people say, you know, it's just political correctness, it's the last whatever. It actually began in the 1930s. So in the 1930s was when Australia Day was declared as a day of mourning for our Aboriginal people. So it has a long history in that. So there are divided feelings about our our most significant national public holiday. And in some ways you think, well, that's not good because surely our national day should unite us, right? If we have a national day, surely that should unite us around who we are, what defines us as Australians. So it's very different from the United States. So the the US has a couple of very significant national public holidays. Their national day is Independence Day. So the day when they declared their independence from England. It, It defines them as a nation, It was a day where they decided that they would no longer be subject to the English crown, but they would declare their independence from that and establish themselves as a nation. Now, many of you know that I was born in New Zealand. Our national day is? It's the Treaty Day, the Waitangi Treaty. Okay, And again, there's significance in that defines us, in that on that day, the English and the Maori made a treaty that they would live together in a certain way. Was the treaty perfect? Absolutely not. But it it was incredibly symbolic and incredibly important in enabling the country to actually step forward. And when you... uh, I'm always struck by the place and the role of the Maori people, the First Nations people in New Zealand. It's it's very different to what we experience in Australia. Uh, it's, It's a national day with a sense of meaning. Australia Day doesn't have that. It doesn't have that sense of unity. Australia Day doesn't have that sense of this is the, what defines us. This is the day when we became a nation. Because when you think about independence from England, we haven't wanted to do that. When you talk about actually wanting to actually come together as two nations, as the English and the First Nation, we didn't want to do that and we still don't want to do that. There's no treaty on the board. Nobody wants to talk about a treaty. And in some ways, perhaps it's too late. And there's an irony about January 26 that is pointed out, and I think it becomes increasingly obvious, that our national day, when you talk about it historically, marks the day when 1,400 uninvited and unwanted boat people landed on our shores. 786 of them were criminals, some of them with violent criminal backgrounds. Now, this is our greatest fear, and we spend billions of dollars making sure this event never happens again. So there is an incredible irony about our national day. So how do we as followers of Jesus engage with this day? For many of us, it will be just a day off to mow the lawn. That's going to be a bit hot tomorrow, don't do that. Uh, Some of us will go to parties. Some will go and see the fireworks. Some of us will celebrate being Australian. I think many of us will celebrate being Australian. But other Christians will try and reflect Australia as it is. Now, I've got a a mate, he's uh, part of a church just a little bit north of us, and I asked him, I've been asking people about Australia Day for about the last month, driving people nuts. I said, how how will you celebrate, how will your church celebrate Australia Day? He says, oh, we're calling it International Day, and after church we will have a meal together. And people from all of their diversity, all their diverse backgrounds and their different cultural backgrounds are bringing a meal that reflects their cultural background. And we will share a meal together and we will celebrate what Australia is that is this incredible, peaceful diversity of people who come together and to do so with a sense of thankfulness to God. I thought, what a really great way to celebrate Australia Day. Other people, other Christians would have been or are at services today for reconciliation. Uh, Other Christians today will march, calling also for reconciliation. So how should we, as Christians, engage with this day, celebrate this day? I had the passage from the Old Testament read out this morning because in the Old Testament law there are seven festivals as well. So we have seven 
We have seven Australian public holidays, but there are also seven festivals laid out in the law. And Jesus engaged with each of these, and I think they give us some guidance. So these are the seven. The Passover you would have heard about. This is a time when the people of God remembered that God spared them. God passed over them and struck down the Egyptians. Straight after the Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It goes for a week, and this is what Frank read out to us, the instructions for that. And what they do is they remember their hasty departure. Immediately following the Passover, they fled their hasty departure. Uh, They celebrate that for a week. Then you have the, the Festival of the First Fruits, and as you probably can guess that's the beginning of the harvest. This was a time of remembering the goodness of God, giving thanks to him for the first fruits of the harvest and offering back to him a tithe, an offering from those first fruits. And it's this expression of trust in the provision of God. Following that, we have the Feast of Weeks, otherwise known as Pentecost. It symbolised the end of the harvest and it had the same themes running through it. Thanksgiving for the provision of God, an expression of trust as offerings were given to him. Uh, Then we have the Feast of Trumpets. Now the Feast of Trumpets is on the first. It's kind of like the New Year's Day of the Jewish calendar. So it's the first day of, of a really significant month which has in it two other festivals. The first is the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is a very solemn festival. It's a time when people remember their sin. Uh, So it's a very, very solemn day uh, of fasting. And a little bit later in that same month, they have the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles, or we would call it the Feast of Tents. And it's a time where they remember their time of wandering in the desert. So their disobedience, their sin, in refusing to obey the Lord when he he asked them to enter into the Promised Land, their refusal brought about this time of wandering for 40 years in the desert. And so you've got this Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booze, where they remember that time. And so you can see the themes that are coming through in these public holidays. And I think they speak something to us. And the big one is remember. What do we do on this day? I think we need to remember. Uh, And there are themes that are running through. Do you see it? Remember to give thanks. Remember to trust in God. Uh, Remember to acknowledge sin. Remember to think about the consequences of sin. And I actually want to use some of these themes to answer the question of how do we engage with Australia Day. So straight into it. Uh, I think we need to remember to give thanks. Despite our humble and at times dark past, by God's grace, we live in a wonderful country. Okay? We really do. We really do live in a wonderful country. It is not perfect, I know that, and we can all think of the things that are wrong with our country. But can we just, for one day, say we live in a wonderful country? We love bagging out of politicians, but on the whole, we enjoy good government. We enjoy stable government most of the time. Okay? Uh, we have accountability to, from our politicians. We live in a country where there is peace. We have free press. We have individual freedoms, protection of that. We have brilliant healthcare. Thank you to all those who work in that sector. We have brilliant schools. Thank you to everybody who works in that sector as well. We have an incredibly high standard of living. Can we at least start with this place? When it comes to Australia Day, remember to give thanks because we come from very humble beginnings. Uh, Richard Johnson was the first Christian pastor in our country. He came across as the chaplain on the First Fleet. He records that in his first four years of ministry, and I think that's all he lasted here. (laughs) My goodness, when you'll find out why. He conducted 220 marriages. This is in four years. 220 marriages. He performed 226 baptisms. Uh, And you've got to understand Church of England, so a lot of those would have been representing the birth of babies. So 220 marriages, 226 baptisms. He performed over four years, 854 burials. So that's a really rugged start for the English in Australia, right? You had basically four people dying for every one who was born. See, we we need to remember to give thanks for the country which we now live in. 
which came from very, very harsh and very difficult conditions for the first English settlers. The second thing we need to remember and acknowledge is our sin. Now, I probably should say sins because we have many sins in our country that we can choose from, but on Australia Day, I think the one we need to acknowledge and to remember is the sins against our Aboriginal people of this land. In 1770, James Cook declared New South Wales, uh, which was really the entirety of Australia at that stage, as terra nullius, which means a land that belongs to no one. Now, he did observe Aboriginal people when he landed. He saw them up and down the coast, so he knew there were people who lived here, but he declared that it was a land that belongs to no one. So that declaration was that the Aboriginal people did not occupy the land, nor did they have any connection to the land, meant that it was then open for the English to come and to take the land as their own. Now, I I certainly don't want to blame James Cook for that. It's not just his fault and I certainly don't want to blame the English for that because the French probably would have done the same possibly worse and if not them the Portuguese who knows it wasn't so much one person's fault or even one country's fault so it's no point bagging out James Cook or or the English James Cook was simply reflecting this common understanding this this widespread understanding that white man was superior superior simply because of the color of their skin you see there was no concept in, in the broader European understanding of the world, their worldview, uh, that all people, regardless of the colour of the skin, were created in the image of God. There was no concept that, that all people, simply due to the fact that they were created in the image of God, were worthy of respect. The white man was seen as superior and a person of colour was seen as inferior and in some, to, to some degree less than human. That was the widespread understanding. That was the worldview that pervaded European thinking. But it wasn't everyone, right? We understand that, that there are always people who see through a worldview, see through a culture, and actually look through the lens of Scripture. There were Christians of all persuasions who understood the Scriptures and they sought to protect and to advocate for and to live with and to show kindness and love to the First Nation peoples of this country. There were people who came to Australia, and we need to acknowledge this and understand this, who actually brought the gospel with them, not with guns, but with grace. And there are some beautiful stories that can be told about Christians interacting with our First Nations people over those first couple of hundred years, continuing through to today. But the dominant worldview of the superiority of the European races was hard to shift. It really did dominate their thinking. Uh, The assumption that was made in Australia's early history was that white men would naturally take over the land because Aboriginal people, being naturally inferior, would die out. That was the common understanding. Why didn't they count Aboriginal people when they did a census? They counted cattle and sheep. They counted white people. But why why didn't we count Aboriginal people? We just didn't see the point because the understanding was that they would simply die out being an inferior race. Now, Hitler takes this worldview to a whole new level, you understand that, but you can see where it comes from. When it comes to federation, so now we're talking 100-plus years since the First Fleet. Federation was when the states combined, we had a federal uh, constitution, a Commonwealth constitution, and it reflected that worldview still. It reflected the worldview that the Aboriginal people would be, being inferior, they would simply die out. In justifying the Constitution, one of the Tasmanian MPs' words are actually recorded. This is the problem with hand, so it isn't it? You get your words recorded. And he's recorded of saying, in referring to Aboriginals, 
and their exclusion from any protections under the Constitution, there is no scientific evidence that he is a human being at all. So that attitude was very predominant. And the white Australia policy was in place for most of the 20th century. People talk about, oh, it was all in the past, it was all in the past. We've got to understand this is actually relatively early history. Like, this is recent history. The white Australia policy, which sought to basically maintain the purity of the Australian race as being white people, preferably English. If we can't get English people, try and get people who look as English as possible. That was actually still government policy up until technically the 70s. 1971, uh, there was a very important case. You would understand it and know it as the Mabo case. If you don't, uh, it's a good part of Australian history to look into. 1971, a original court decision was handed down that the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people had not occupied our land and that they had no connection to the land. So in other words, it reinforced James Cook's declaration of terra nullius and the uh, federal court judge said, yes, that's correct. Aboriginals did not occupy the land, had no connection to the land. It took 21 years for that ruling to be overruled. And it was done so by the High Court, and it really was, in Australia's history, a a defining moment as a country. The High Court not only said that terra nullius does not exist, that the the Aboriginal people did have an existence and a connection with the land, uh, but they also described it as a violation of human rights and a denial of the historical reality of dispossession. It's a nice word for theft, isn't it? So um, a landmark case in our history. You know, on this day, I think, as Christians, we need to remember to give thanks. A really important part of this day, but it is equally important for us to remember and to acknowledge our sin. This is recent history. This is not ancient history. Uh, A few weeks ago, we listened to Craig Rochelle. There was just one line which I really um, stuck with me. It says, we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to one another for healing. We confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to one another for healing. And I think that has relevance for us as a country. You see, even after Mabo, even after many other um, things that took place, we never said sorry. There was, in fact, an intentional refusal to say sorry. We actually never acknowledged or confessed our sin. Uh, It was in the year 2000, over a quarter of a million people from all backgrounds, many of them Christians, walked across the Harbour Bridge and they did so to protest the refusal to apologise and to acknowledge sin. And it was only in 2008 when it was finally said. Incredibly important day in the life of our nation for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It just brought this incredible outpouring of emotion, tears, that finally those words had been said. Finally, the sin had been acknowledged publicly. There is still such a journey to take There is still a reluctance, I think, on us to actually step back into our history. I think it's strange. I think as Australians, we actually understand the history and the conflict of civil rights and a treatment of black people in America more than we do in Australia, perhaps because we've watched more movies about it. We're more aware of South Africa and judgmental about apartheid than we are have, perhaps have that understanding because I think there is a natural reluctance of us to want to remember the past, a past that contains pain. It's been described as a black armband view of history. Well, actually, no, it's, it's actually history. But a refusal to actually acknowledge our history holds us back from being able to step into a future. I'll come back to that. There's still a journey to take. I'm sure many of us have actually seen or heard an acknowledgement of country before. Is that 
fair to say. Uh, if you've been to a Baptist Union meeting, there's always an acknowledgement of country. Uh, if you've been to other meetings, there's often an acknowledgement of country. In the context of today, I actually just borrowed one from the Australian Anglicans, and I just think it's a really beautiful one. Uh, it goes like this. I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote it, but it goes like this. It just simply says, We acknowledge that God is sovereign over all land. Everything in heaven and earth belongs to God. And in our context, we acknowledge the Darug people as the traditional custodians of the Parramatta region in which this church is located. And we respect the relationship they have with their country. It's a fair comment to say, isn't it? You see, one of the ways in which we buy into culture rather than into our faith is we, we have this inherent understanding that we own land because we buy it and we sell it. You know, the scriptural understanding is that all land belongs to God. And we are trustees, we are custodians. An acknowledgement of country is a simple way to remember and to actually acknowledge the past and enables us to move on. Remember to give thanks. Uh, Remember to acknowledge sin. But also I think we need to remember on this day the consequences of sin uh, when the first fleet arrived, they came with guns and alcohol, and that was bad for the First Nation people who were here, obvious. But it was actually disease that was the killer. Smallpox, influenza, and syphilis decimated the Aboriginal people. We don't know how many Aboriginal people died in the first year from 1788 um, on because we didn't count. There are historical documents that record the deaths of whole Aboriginal families. There are other documents that refer to Benelong's uh, tribe only being three left due to disease. Some suggest that within the first year, over half of the Aboriginals that lived around the Sydney Basin had died from European diseases. We have to understand the consequences of sin, and the consequences of our sin don't go away quickly. Our First Nation people continue to experience poverty, and all that goes with it. Poor health, poor education, unemployment, high rates of imprisonment. And it's easy for us to make generalisations, and you've probably heard them and hopefully have never said them, that the problem with Aboriginal people is they're all lazy. Problem with Aboriginal people is they're good for nothing. Problem with Aboriginal people is they don't want to work, they just want to take money. Well, the problem, you know, I heard somebody, you know, throw a comment out along the lines of, the problem with that isn't with Aboriginal people, it's with those half-breeds. They're the ones who cause trouble. And you kind of go, you're stepping back into this, this mindset that says there is a purity of race. All right, surely we've got beyond that now. How many of us would call, you know, call ourselves full-blooded whatever, full-blooded English? Or, like, we, we need to understand the mindsets that actually drive a lot of these comments. Uh, I think one of the problems is very few of us have Aboriginal friends. Very few of us take the time to actually listen Uh, and befriend people. Uh, We had a couple of Aboriginal guys here over the past 10 years, neither are here now, but Michael and Tim Ma. Uh, And I'm incredibly appreciative for their role in my life because as I walked with them, as I understood their faith, I mean, they're two of the hardest working guys I know, so you you, you just don't buy into that kind of rubbish. But they also introduced me to their Aboriginal family and to their friends. Uh, Michael had connections with uh, a place down in Cootamundra, Bimberdeen, which many of us were involved with a few years back. And, and we heard the story. Just one of those incredible Saturday nights as we gathered together, white fella and black fella, we worshipped together. We heard the stories of Bimberdeen. It was a place 
where children taken from their parents were, were basically trained to become servants in white households. Just an incredibly moving time, incredibly moving weekend. And I, my life is richer for doing that journey with Michael and Tim. Moving on. Remember the consequences of sin. Remember who we are. For Israel, they remembered that they were those whom God had redeemed, that they had been chosen by God not because they were better, not because they were superior, not because they were white, which they weren't, but simply by grace. We need to remember who we are. We are Australians. Very pleased about that. But above all, and above being Australians, we are followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are, many of us, citizens of Australia, but above all, we are citizens of heaven. See, Australia Day is a day for us to remember who we are. Above all, we are citizens of heaven. Jesus refused to be crowned King of Israel. He refused to be crowned King of Israel, pointing us instead to the kingdom of heaven. Remember who we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are the messengers of reconciliation. We are peacemakers. That is who we are on Australia Day and every day. And the last thing just coming out of these Old Testament celebrations is I think we need to remember to trust. I think as Christians we need to be very wary of and we need to step away from politics of blame and fear. It brings out the worst in people. A politic of blame and fear and instead seek to live and to love like Jesus. That seems much better, doesn't it? Step away from blame and fear. Seek to live and to love like Jesus. Love all people. Respect all people. Seek to understand people and walk with them. And I am encouraged that there are truckloads of Christians who are seeking to do this, seeking to be ambassadors of Christ, messengers of reconciliation. Uh, For me, I think it was more a part of my journey when I had Michael and Tim in my life and less a part of my life now, and I need to repent of that. We need to remember to trust We need to remember to pray that as a nation we would be defined not not by the arrival of boats, but we are to be defined by a willingness to embrace our past with repentance and to step into a future with faith and hope and love. And I just want to say, what an opportunity we have, right? As Christians, don't we? What an opportunity we have in this country to tell a different story, to live a different story, to live lives that are defined by faith, hope and love. I'm just going to pray and then I would just love, can you just pray for our nation? There, like pick whatever, pray for rain, pray, pray for whatever. Uh, you know, there, there, this, this is a time of lament, I think also for us as a nation. 25 people now killed in the fires this year. Pray for our nation. Pray for anything that's come out of this morning. But just allow me to pray and then I just, just want to, Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your word and the way in which words that were written thousands of years ago continue to guide us today. Uh, So, Father, we do. We want to be a people of faith and hope and love. We want to be people who remember, who remember who we are, to remember to give thanks for all that you've done, but also to remember and acknowledge our sins of the present and our sins of the past and to seek to step into a future that is marked by reconciliation and love and grace. Father, may we be those who initiate that. And Lord, I just want to pray for us as Christians in our nation. There perhaps has never been such a a wonderful and a ripe opportunity to actually live out our faith. Um, As we have generations of people coming through who have never, ever heard the gospel, uh, may we be those who bring it to this country, uh, both in what we say, the manner in which we say it, and our actions that accompany it. 
Uh, Father, our desire is that your Holy Spirit would be at work in this nation, drawing people to yourself, bringing about a new and a bright future for this nation. Yeah. So, Father, we ask all this because we know that it depends not on us. Yeah, we're part of it, but, Lord, it can only take place by the work of your Spirit. Yeah. So, Father, would you do this, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.